You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with Tori and Katie. Today's episode features an interview with Petrushka Mirzva, a utility sound technician and boom operator. Petrushka Mirzva has worked on over 80 movies and television shows for major directors, including Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, James Gray, and Robert Altman. She has been a judge for the Emmys, IATSE Sound Local 695 director, and given workshops in Los Angeles, New York City, China, Norway, England, Ireland, and Holland. Her sound Oscar-nominated shows are Ed Astra and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Petrushka is one of the first women boom operators in Hollywood and has just published the definitive book on being a utility sound technician, Behind the Sound Cart, a veteran's guide to sound on the set. Welcome, Petrushka. Thank you. So happy to have you here and on our first episode as host and co-host. So I'm Tori and this is my co-host, Katie. Hey, Katie. Hey. Congratulations, you guys. Thank you. This is a perfect first episode because I bought your book months ago and now I'm talking to you and I wasn't even the host of the Sound Girls podcast at the time. So it's like, whoa. Oh, well, thanks for buying the book. Have you had a chance to read it yet? I started reading it this morning and I'm like already a better person. It's so good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Patrushka, I read this morning <laughs> that you wrote this book because an intern said, I never learned any of this. So I would like to ask you more about that and tell us about writing this book. Well, it's true. We... And I say we, Mark Yolano is a production sound mixer and I work with him a lot. Um, and the last two movies that were Oscar nominated, I worked with him as the mixer. And um, one thing that he likes to do, which I've always appreciated, is when it's possible with the production to bring on interns. And Quentin Tarantino is very open to that, which we really appreciate. So we had, um, we had, People come, interns come for a week at a time, several of them. And I pretty much thought I knew what they would ask and what they needed. And it's a very busy set. We move pretty quickly on Quentin's shows. So there wasn't a lot of time to sit around. And so whenever I had bits of time, I used to call them educational moments. Okay, I have an educational moment. Let's talk about the gear the set protocols, whatever questions you have from, from school. And we had an intern who I really liked, and I, I think she was very promising. Her parents had put her through four years of film school, and they, I think, had mortgaged their house. They were solid middle class, but schools are expensive, and she had just graduated. And there, there was a particular setup that I wasn't needed for. And so I had probably 25 minutes. And I said, this is great. Let's talk. What would you like to know? And I said, let's just start going through the gear. And I was on the follow cart, which um, doesn't have the mixer or recorders, but it has everything boom operators and utility people need. So microphones for wiring, tapes, Zeppelins, windsocks, various little sundry things. So I said, let's start at the top. Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know these things? And she she knew some of the microphones, some of the wireless. And then I, I got to the tape roll. I said, well, you know your tapes. And she said, no. And I said, well, 
didn't you do that? You you had to have movies that you were working on in film school. So didn't your instructor go over the tapes? No, we just checked out gear all by ourselves, And then we just went off by ourselves and made movies. And I said, how did you learn the set protocols, what to do, all the equipment? I didn't, which completely threw me. Not having been to film school, I just assumed since it's many decades later that that basics were taught and they weren't and I I was startled and so we started at the beginning I explained why we had certain tapes on our tape roll how it's different from the grip cart they use different tapes the props people use different tapes and that you needed to know other people's gear because sometimes you have to ask for things that they have that you don't normally carry we went, uh, we were on a stage in Hollywood and she'd never been to the perms. So fighting my acrophobia, <laughs> we went up and up and up into the perms. We talked about the lighting, how units were tied off, everything. I just talked nonstop until the gang came back and then some. And she went back home to get all her things and come out. I said, you know, we can bring you on for certain days, but not the whole show, but if you keep at it, you'll do well and I will recommend you. Okay, I'll talk to you all along the way. She went back. I didn't hear anything for four days or so. I tried calling her, never got a hold of her. And the end of the story is that two weeks later, I got an email from her. I'm too embarrassed to call you. I got all my stuff from back east and then I got almost all the way here. I got to Arizona and I just got nervous about not having a job consistently because I have to pay my parents back. And they had six figures of debt. And she said, I turned around and I'm just going to go home and, and I'll find another way to make this happen. It was horrible. I felt so bad for her. And it stuck with me. She's still in her town. She's got an office job in a film company and she sounds happy. It wasn't at all what she wanted to do. And COVID came along and I thought, if I don't do something with my time, I'm going to gain weight like everybody else was. <laughs> and so I said, I'll just write this book and I'll just, I just poured it all out. And I said, I don't want anybody to have to do, you shouldn't have to start a career when you're saddled with that much debt, you'll never get out of it. It's a freelance business and it's it's hard, it's competitive. And it it happens to be one of the things that, that you don't get taught at film school, most film schools, especially audio, sound, but any of the crafts, you really don't learn that technical side. And I, I have a, a pet peeve about directors who go through film schools and don't know a clue about the medium they work in. I get pretty honest in my book. I, I really spell out things for people and they have appreciated that it's a conversation I have with somebody. It isn't a lecture and it isn't like all the other sound books. I did have multiple offers from publishers, but they wanted to change it, everything from the title to just giving it an academic once over to make it sound more educational. And that was exactly what I didn't want to do. And so I am self-publishing. I had something to say, and it was really important that it didn't sound like other books, which I've read and don't really, they don't really explain it. They just, they don't, they don't, they don't. And, and they don't. <laughs> you cover everything. I, Love your bit about not apologizing. I was like, yes. Like, oh my God, I'm. that's what I needed to hear. All I do is apologize. Why is that, Katie? Oh. Let's, talk, let's talk about apologizing. 
because so many people have said, oh my God, it's a department, at least in production, that has some autonomy from camera. And, and that puts us in a very unique position. It's great at certain times and it's not at other times. It makes it difficult. And so people who are in sound feel they need to apologize. They're also the, the department that gets the actors at the last minute. The camera people get all the time in the world to change lenses and move around and the lighting people get what they need until it's lit. The grips get what they need because they're supporting the camera. And then uh, when everybody's already and and the AD is saying, we're running late, we have to hurry for no reason other than they feel they have to hurry. You know, actors come and then that's when we work with them intimately. And there's a lot of apologizing and, and you just you don't have to apologize for doing your job. Don't apologize. There's so many reasons not to. And they're in the book. <laughs> yes. I'm getting the book after this. Amazon, let's go. Um, but even as a woman in audio, I mean, I feel like we apologize even more because we are in that minority. And so I think that's that's great advice. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. Like you're one of the first woman boom ops in Hollywood. Like how did you get started? I'm sorry to interrupt you, Kate. See, oh my gosh, I just apologize. You know what, Tori? You're just doing your job. It's okay. Apology accepted. That was, that was having good manners because you interrupted. So that's, it's never, I, I'm not saying never apologize. Just don't apologize for doing your work. I mean, always be a kind person. And if you do something wrong, for God's sakes, yes, apologize, own it and move on. Don't drag the emotional baggage of it. Um, and I have just learned, because I worked with guys, um, there are many a time when I was the only woman on a set, including actors. And I understand some of those characteristics and it makes sense. How did I get started? I came from theater and I came from kind of set design costumes. And when I moved out to Hollywood, I had gotten a design scholarship to go to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. And I thought I was going back home after that and, and do theater, but I never went to film school, never thought about doing film. Film was something that people who weren't poor did. <laughs> and I grew up poor, very poor. So it was never in my consciousness to even think about it. But I answered an ad on the bulletin board at the design school, work on a major motion picture. And I thought, okay, I'll call them up. And I talked to the head costumer who came out of theater. And so we had this great rapport from the beginning. And he turned out to be somebody who took a job and then dumped everything on me and then went off and took another job. And I had no experience. And so it, it was interesting and stressful. And I didn't like costuming in film. In theater, it was much more democratic. You all work together. You're a company. It all happens. And I was more involved in the direct make, the, the minute by minute decisions with the directors. And it just felt more like a company, whereas in film, things are out of sequence. And if you're costuming, you're usually not on the set unless you're running the costumes for the show, which I wasn't, I was building. And so I wanted to be closer on set to where things happened. And I happen to have worked on, it predates you youngins, but I worked on a show about Chippendales, which was a male strip club. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
And there was a movie of the week about it and I was doing costumes on it. Well, Ooh. it yes. And the thing about it is that the guys were really working at Chippendales. And of course they had their own specialty costumes that were breakaway. So all I had were like two main characters who, who brought their own wardrobe. And then I just had to take it to the dry cleaner. So I actually walked around the set and I said, what do you do? What do you do? And I got a job as a second camera loader on it. And I was pretty good, but it seemed that camera was very competitive and I didn't want to do it. And I met the sound mixer and I said, well, I don't know anything about sound and all your gear is expensive. So I would be afraid to touch it. And <laughs> I couldn't afford to, to repair it, you know, if I broke it. And I just, I knew that, you know, I was still on food stamps. And so I said, no, thank you. And he said, no, 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 you're a logical person. This is a logical thing. And, and I will teach you how to do this. And he did. And I loved it. And I got to be near the camera. And as I, it's logical and I'm logical. And I like, I really wanted a job where I had to use my brain. When I was in costumes, Everybody who gets dressed in the morning thinks they know your job, including producers' wives. And everybody had opinions about their style of, mm. of fashion. And it, it wasn't always appropriate. And it wasn't for me anymore. And so you just pick up some bit of technology and suddenly everybody's like, oh, oh, I have a lot more respect for you, which I really like. <laughs> yes, nobody taught me that at Catholic school. <laughs> I was very modest for a very long time and I'm still very polite, but every so often, yeah, I can intimidate somebody and I fucking like it. And you know, it's just a good feel. I, yeah. Use your brain, get paid for it. Have fun. Oh yeah. That's a tagline of this episode. Yeah. I know. I'm getting a t-shirt. Our first episode. <laughs> it's great. The only thing lacking in the sound department, and I've said this, people laugh, but I'm serious. If purple smoke came out when the, the gear was operating, that would just clinch it, you know? We've got the black, we've got the connectors, we've got little meters, and nobody understands that. <laughs> I could say anything. People would understand. Oh, yeah. better listen to her. <laughs> purple smoke. Yes. Oh, yes. You need purple smoke. You're a wizard of sound. We need the smoke. <laughs> yes, does it. I have been known to wear costumes on set. I no. I do. I, I, really? Yes, I, there are themes. <laughs> I do themes. Sometimes. That's amazing. Do you have a picture? Do you have a picture to send us after? Because now I'm oh, like... Oh, God, I have a lot of pictures. Well, you know, the thing, the thing that's wonderful, and it's in the book, the thing about film is that it's a people business and it goes for anything in the arts. It really, at its very basic level, it's about people and collaborating on art with people. So you need to always keep that in your brain. And also it can behoove you and your career to find some qualities that you want to be known for. What separates you from other people doing the business, especially in film? It's so competitive. Um, and it isn't the person who knows the most. It isn't the person who knows the most about history of film or the most about sound or is the most technically proficient. It's who somebody wants to work with when you're in the trenches, when it's hard, it's technical, you're tired, you miss your family, 
people are screaming at you. You've never done this before. You're never going to do it again. And you have to, you have to make it work. And so there, there is some alchemy involved. And I just realized early on a way to bring my personal life into my professional life, because that's another thing everybody suffers with is how do I balance both of these lives? And they're both all encompassing and you can't. And so I found a way to bring some of my personal life into my professional. So I do things like I, I celebrate people. That's important to me. I like to cook and bake. I kind of have a Martha Stewart thing going, you know, but I, I, it came from years of, you know, I went to home ec class in high school. You learn to cook and clean. Good Lord. We learned the proper way to file our nails, and how to make eggs six different ways. I wish I went through these classes in high school. I had none of them. Me neither. I don't know anything. I wanted carpentry and they wouldn't let me. I did wood shop. Oh, really? Only girl. Yeah. Good times. It, it was, no, it was too long. We were just starting to, to, you know, to be seen as people. It's still a struggle, but yes, no, I, I know how to make a gingham apron. <laughs> we did electric boogaloo breaking two. Yes. And uh, it came up recently because, oh my goodness, a a group of extremists, political extremists have co-opted Electric Boogaloo as a, the name of their group, which startled us to no end. It was just a movie about breakdancing. Right. And there was a scene at the hospital and the mixer and I dressed up in surgical gowns and I dressed as pirates. Um, we had a location that was all water work and we had our own little boat in the Louisiana Bayou. And uh, we went out to the store and bought pirate outfits. <laughs> That's great. I, I sewed a pirate flag with the crossbones and headphones and we put it on our crawfish boat. And the first day we came out, I had a fake of a really cheesy black beer. <laughs> and we had scarves and, you know, and we had a, a hook. And my thing is humor. And in props. <laughs> you sound like such a fun person to have on set. I know. I'm so fun. I'm so fun. You're so fun. <laughs> so I'm curious, since I actually haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, can you tell me a little bit about the sound design and just how you've had to, because I read some articles about how you had the mix mics and uh, both for that and actually add Astra. Can you give us a little bit of insight on like some of the moments of how you create environments like that? Like, what does it really entail? Sure. In, in all fairness, I have to say that I'm part of the team. My job specifically is not mixing. The production mixer is on both of those was Mark Ulano, and he's, he's a legend and, and well-deserved. He is, he does that thing that only certain mixers do. Um, and it's magical and it's, it's magic. Um, he's very good at his mixing. Um, in film, there are two schools of thought. One is that I'm recording isotracks and then I throw it off to post. My job is recordist. It's grown out of, I'm not sure where, because originally there was, there was a mixer on set. Um, and Mark is old school in that you know, he goes back to Nagra days when you mixed. That's 
That's what you turned in, a mix. And he's very good at it. And there's a certain proficiency that happens when you do it in and out and you really care about what you're doing. Microphone selection for the package is pretty much his purview because he pays for everything. He, he It's his equipment package with input from the boom operator and from me. Mark has chosen things that, that he likes and then likes blending them together. He also is really good at blending wires and plants and booms. Still, to this day, there are a lot of Facebook groups. You'll always hear people saying, that scene, was it boomed? Was it was it loved, you know, and every time people ask about films we do, I say, yes, we did it all. There are some scenes where I've had seven microphones out. All the actors are wired, two booms on Quentin Tarantino movies. There's always two booms and a plant. And it just depends on what the shot is. And we've come to have a pretty synchronous idea of how it should be approached. So, or Ed Astra, that it was such a different movie. It was a lot of confined spaces that you couldn't get a boom in and not really any place to plant microphones because of the way the sets were designed. Usually sets have wild walls or, or panel sections that you can take away so that people can access, crew can access the set for lighting for air for whatever anybody needs and we didn't really have those in those spaceships they were small they were life-size small so it was a lot of love work on a lot of different spacesuits and it was my job to figure out how to wire those suits we used two different kinds of love mics there were some earlier on at one point mcbride brad pitt's character leaves earth has to go to the moon and then eventually he gets to neptune because he's searching for his father so along the journey i started with a cos 11 microphone a sankin and it had a really it had a nice warmth to it that i i liked for brad's voice but it physically was of a size that didn't work for a spacesuit that I needed to use later. And so I ended, up with, I ended up with a DPA, which to my ear was a little bit colder, but it had a, a better, th- you know, um, reach mm. for his voice as he got very quiet and introspective. Right. Um, and at first I was worried about having to change microphones because I could hear the difference but it really worked for the show because as he gets further away, you feel that coldness of space. And we kept the miking very close and low. So you felt that confinement, whereas down on earth, we could boom things and gave it a little bit more air. So a lot of that was how much Mark would mix in a boom ambience to give it that. And then on um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we used a pair of Sankin CS3Es and I, I fell in love with that microphone. They just could pull voices out of big environments when we couldn't get in any closer. I came to have a lot of respect for those microphones. And again, it was the blending of, of wires. There's a scene Tori, when you look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. there's a scene that I, I've spoken about a few times, which is where Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt, picks up Hippie Chick. I have no idea what this is. I can't <laughs> wait to watch it. A, a guy in a, in a car and a Hawaiian shirt picks up 
this girl who's hitchhiking, this hippie, and she's barely wearing any clothing. And it was a tough outfit. And thank goodness, Margaret Qualley, who's a wonderful person and, and a fabulous actress, was very accommodating. And we worked through how we were going to hide a transmitter when she's wearing very, very short shorts, no bra, and just this open knit top that had string ties all around it. Wow. So we did, but the scene where she gets picked up ended up being shot over two different days with two different mixers, two different equipment packages, as it turned out. And it was mic'd eight different ways. Wow. Oh my god! And it all sounds fluid, just depending on the shot and how things happen. So it, it's uh, someday I want to do a podcast just about that and really break it down because it's interesting. It really lies in the hands of the mixer and their philosophy about what they think their job is. So for the mixers who think my job is just to record everything flat and send it off, I think it's abdicating a certain responsibility. It's personal opinion, but you're there to, to understand the character arc, the director's intent, and to provide that emotional support for that actor's character arc. So I think that's what the job is. It's mixing. I think you should mix. And especially nowadays when things are expensive and post-production schedules, I mean, I have a, a good number of friends who are post-mixers. They work terrible hours and there's never enough time to do what they need to do. So anything that you can give them, I think you should. This is so inspiring because considering sound starts from pre-production, right? And it should. Yes. All of us, all of us, the boom up, the UST and the mixer, we're all in on it from for weeks, weeks in advance. We should be. Yeah. We should be because those are production's cheapest dollars. And there's this belief in certain modest budget shows where production people come up not being properly mentored and they don't understand the value of those pre-production dollars or the time. And I, I say it to students uh, as well. You know, if, if your shoot is one day, you should have a week of prep for it and involve everybody and, and let them tell you what they need and why they do. It's an education that production people don't get. Agreed. So uh, we've been able to save so much time and money, hundreds of thousands of dollars on a show just by being invited to the location scout where all the departments, the heads of the departments are figuring out where's the camera going to be? Where's the lighting? Where am I going to stage my gear? So that on the day when you're working for tens of thousands of dollars a minute, by the time you have actors who are making a, one actor making a million dollars a day and you've got six or seven actors, you know, on Once Upon a Time, we had 107 speaking parts. Wow. Yeah. And, we, and I, went, uh, I went to some of the location scouts when uh, Mark couldn't. And you take pictures. You find out where everybody's staging so that when we go to a set, as soon as we're there at call, everybody knows where they're going to put their gear. They have worked it out. When actors weren't there, when the director was, you know, just getting his pre-production, I mean, they're cheap dollars. 
I, I don't understand why people wouldn't prep more. And then when it came time to, to big, big dollars, they used it efficiently. And, you know, everything you're saying about film production and getting ready, you know, it also applies very much to live too. I've seen a lot of that um, in my in, in my job. And, you know, I feel like that com- simple communication with the parties that you need on board is, is golden. I was just gonna, it's gold. It just is. So your book opens with very intriguing tales about stuff you've had to deal with, including um, you have to go find a single cricket and hairspray. <laughs> It's legs, so it stopped making noise. Give us some more of those. Do you have any more of those up your sleeve? What What is it like? Oh, goodness. More than the cow peeing on me um, and more than... Even more than the cow. More than, <laughs> Even more. more than booming from the grave. What? I will say. Okay, I want to hear that story. I, I was doing a show. It was actually for George Harrison's company and um, Handmade Films. And um, what a treat that was. And it was a comedy and uh, with... Je- uh, starring Jeff Daniels and at one point his best friend dies suddenly at a barbecue they were having and and there's a troubling aspect to it so we're at the grave site and it was a real cemetery with a real grave that had been dug but obviously no one was in it yet and it just happened to be that the best position for the boom was from the grave booming up because of the sun and the camera and all that stuff. And so I got in the grave and I have to tell you, it was very creepy <laughs> yeah. I'm, because I'm, I'm not six feet tall. So, you know, I'm younger. I'm five, five now. I kind of shrunk down a little bit from all that weight. Excuse me for just a minute. It's Toby's mind to eat dinner. Of course. Toby? Toby gets to be on the podcast. (laughs) That's Petrushka Mirzba's dog, Toby. Toby. (laughs) Making a making a little cameo. Okay. Steffi. Okay. Steffi. Okay. So sorry. It's all good. Here I am. I got lowered into this grave with the boom and it's it's cooler down there and it it just really was creepy i i really felt the spirits gravity (laughs) it's it's a little unnerving Mm, understood yes there there are many of those things but i you know i've also uh had some wonderful experiences just fun funny scary um but a lot of them are in the book buy the book hey wait let's let's do that sorry sound bite plug the book yeah, I'm going to plug the book because it's excellent. And, and okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay. Here, I'll help. Oh, there we go. Okay, guys, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, you need to buy her book, Behind the Sound Cart, A Veteran's Guide to Sound on the Set by Petrushka Mirzva. It's, it's such an easy read because she just gives it to you. You just give it to us. And it's just everything's, it's gold. If we're going to go for the gold thing, you give us gold. Thank you so much. Available on Amazon and non-Amazon alternatives. There you go. Excellent. Uh, so if anyone wants to follow you, how do they follow you on social media? Oh, yeah. Could we be Instagram friends? Do you have Instagram? You know, I just opened an Instagram account. I am not a big Instagram per- person. And I have to say, people know so many ways to get a hold of me. It's, it is a bit overwhelming. I'm on the, I'm on face, all the sound Facebook groups. I'm on, um, you know, friend me, or I don't 
regularly post, but I am creating a website because I'm writing three books now and I've got another few after that in mind. Mind you, everyone, uh, Katie just glowed. Like she's on cloud nine. I'm so excited. My money is gone. It's already gone. I've already invested. Tell us about your books. What are you writing? Thank you. Um, well, this one was on a utility sound technician, which is so very important because people don't understand what it is. And um, I want to make sure that, that that gets out. And also the thing about being a utility person is that there isn't any formal training. It's all handed down and it's dependent on who you're working with, the mixers and the boom operators, what their experience is. And I just felt there needed to be a standardization. Um, and so I, it's why I feel so passionate about that one. But I also said I was going to do a, a boom operator book. And I don't feel that anybody has really put that out in the way I want to see it done. So I have some ideas and um, that's what I'm currently writing right now. And then I, I actually have one for directors. I realized in the writing of the UST book, which you'll see as you get into it, I bring up directors a lot. And I realized I had some things I needed to say to them <laughs> at the end of the book. And I thought, you know, I'm old enough now. I'm just going to say this. And so it's it's for directors who haven't gone to, who haven't paid their dues. And they don't understand the medium they're working in. And so I'm, I'm helping them be better directors. Um, and the title of it is called Rebel with the Crew. Yes. I love that. Yes. And I'm going to explain how working with your crew is going to help you make your day and why they are, why are they are there to contribute to your project. So you know what? I think I'm going to buy Once that book comes out, I'm going to buy it for all of my stage manager friends and be like, here, here, enjoy this gift from my heart to yours. This is just like hanging out with friends. That, that's, that's the soundbite. Guys, it's just like hanging out with friends. Tori and Katie and Petrushka, best friends forever. That's it. <laughs> we should, it should just be us every week. Yes. Petrushka, do you want to join us? Can we hire you? I would love to do this again with you guys. This would be fun. Please. That would be so awesome. And I know I'm speaking for sound girls. Carrie, I apologize. No, I'm not sorry. See, we're going back to the beginning. Hey, but Full circle, baby. Carrie, we're not sorry. We had a good time, but you put us together. And so this is, this is it. what you I get. I'm not apologizing. <laughs> Well, you know what? We welcome you. If you want to do any workshops, you know what? You have so much wonderful, so many wonderful things to share uh, with the up and coming generation. And it has been such a pleasure, such a joy to get to chat with you. And we're just so honored and so lucky. I'm going to go read your book. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing after this. I'm going on Amazon Smile right now. Buying it. Is there anything you want to say to, to sign it off? Oh, so much. I'd love to come back if you invite me back. Oh, yeah. Totally. And everybody, take a deep breath and have a good career. Have a good life. Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Check out soundgirls.org for more information. Immersive audio podcast. 
a podcast that explores all things immersive audio. We talk to thought leaders covering the art, science, and business of this fast-changing industry. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast app.